So Luke is, uh, by the way, Luke just turned 13 last week. So uh, we've been here a little while, and he is almost as tall as I am. Of course, I didn't think much in my family, but uh, he's running cross-country this year. And here's a picture from this uh, last week. His meets are on Wednesday afternoons, and the meet uh, goes, it's the seventh grade girls run their race, and then the eighth grade girls run their race, and then the seventh grade boys, and then the eighth grade boys. And so uh, we get there and get ready to watch him run. And this was Luke's race. And in fact, in this picture, the only one racing is Luke. The rest of the people that are running with him are his teammates who, when he came up out of the wooded area and had about 300 or so meters to go, went to him, not just to cheer him on, but to run the rest of the race with him. They'd already finished their race. They'd already done everything required of them. But in a selfless act of generosity, they went back to run in with Luke. they were more concerned about the well-being of the whole team than they were about their own standing. We're all running this race of life. We all have ups and downs and, and twists and turns. We all have questions and doubts and pains and struggles and joys and celebrations. And in all of this life, all of this race, some of us have more to give and some of us have less to give, but we all have Jesus. And we all need one another. Jesus isn't satisfied until all have crossed the finish line. Until all have finished the race. Jesus wants the whole body, the whole team to succeed. When we realize that we have all that we need, then we have nothing to lose in giving it all away. Along with worship and discipleship and service, generosity is one of the spiritual, the pillars of spiritual growth. We know that because God is generous with us, because God invites us, calls us to be generous, and because being generous makes us more like Jesus, who gave everything for us, not out of obligation, but out of selfless love. I wonder how we might become more like Jesus in our generosity. Let's pray. Loving God, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last week, we looked at a passage out of 2 Corinthians 9, in which Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to give generously to an offering that goes back to the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. He reminds us that, we are in every, that God provides every blessing in abundance so that, by always having enough of everything, we may share abundantly in every good work. We're blessed to be a blessing. I suspect the same is true that we are loved to be loving, and we are forgiven to be forgiving. Paul was encouraging the Corinthians to collect this special offering to send back 
uh, not only to supply the needs, to be a blessing for physical needs, but to build the relationship between brothers and sisters in Christ. This week I want to back up just a little bit to chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians, and Paul is reminding them that the, the churches um, in Macedonia, uh, Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea, have, have given generously even while they're going through times of difficulty, severe affliction. They've given generously because they want to be part of the whole team. They want the whole body of Christ to succeed, and so what they have, they want to give. And Paul's reminding them, and he says to the Corinthians, And now, as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and utmost eagerness and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. I do not say this as a command, but I'm testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. All that we have that's worth anything at all is a gift from God. As the result of Jesus, who had everything, giving up everything, becoming poor, so that we might have everything, so that we might be rich. You know, in our culture, uh, and, and as human beings, the way that we define what rich is, is pretty messed up, right? In our culture, to be rich means having money and having things, possessions. It means having power and being in positions of power. In our culture, we're taught to look out for ourselves because no one else is going to do it, to accumulate all that we can, and that that will help give us a life that we want. That the more that you have, the better that you are. The higher your status and standing, the more secure you are. So in our efforts to be better, our efforts to be more secure, we pursue these things, money and possessions, power and position, believing that they're going to make us happy and give us a good life. And it turns out these things are ultimately worth nothing. These things that we pursue in this world to make us happy are ultimately worth nothing. Pursuing them traps us in this cycle that is driven by this mindset of scarcity, that there might not be enough, so I'm going to get it now and I'm going to save it. And then there might not be enough, so I'm going to get more. I have to secure my place in case someone else is coming behind me to take my place. It's, we get trapped in, in this mindset of scarcity. And we using these things, money and power and position, to define our security or find security keeps us from a life that really is life. We're enslaved to our things. We're bound to that position that we hold. We're, we're uh, caught in that sense of not being able to be free. The life that G Jesus gives to us is about freedom and abundance and joy and peace and gratitude, contentment. The life we're really looking for comes not in giving, but not in getting, but in giving. Winston Churchill said, we make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we give. We make a living by what we get, but we make a life by what we 
give. Jesus is generous in time and presence and action and invites us to a new way of living, which involves less of me and more of Christ. Then Jesus said to them all, if any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world but lose or forfeit themselves? This is so countercultural to us, right? Living in this world of, of looking out for ourselves and, and striving to be the best and have the most, we tend to deny ourselves nothing. If we want it, we get it. If, we, if it benefits us, we do it. If it doesn't benefit us, we don't. It's all about the self, but it's about this false sense of self that the world tries to tell us is who we really are. Jesus not only invites us, but shows us a different way. Maybe you remember at the Last Supper, as it's recorded in the Gospel of John, that the disciples have all come in, they're reclining at the, the table, and uh, in that scene, in that scripture, there is no servant at the house to wash the disciples' feet. They've come in at the end of the day, they have uh, been walking around in the dirt and the muck, and they come in, and usually there's someone there to wash their feet. There's no one there that day to wash their feet. And none of them bother to wash their own feet, much less anyone else's feet. They're all more concerned with who's gonna get closest to Jesus, who's gonna be in the know. They don't wanna, they don't wanna miss that, that space. And so instead of doing anything about it, they simply all recline at the table together. And Jesus, in the middle of the meal, gets up, walks over, gets the basin and the water, and begins to wash their feet. And then Jesus has the nerve to tell them that they should do the same. In this space, the master has become the servant. The greatest has become the least. And they are to do the same. Just a little bit later on the heels of, of that event, Judas betrays Jesus and, and sets in motion the events of Jesus' suffering and death on the next day. And as Judas does that, and as Jesus realizes exactly what's happening, he says to them this, I give you a new commandment that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another, that's how people will know if you're my disciple. As followers of Jesus, as disciples of Christ, we're, we're intended to look more like Jesus as we follow him, to think like Jesus thinks, to speak like Jesus speaks, to act like Jesus acts, to love like Jesus loves, and Jesus loves by giving. And giving past what was necessary. If you read the stories about Jesus, you'll read that, that Jesus always gives more <laughs> than what would have met the need. Right? Do you remember the story that Jesus took a couple of loaves of bread and a couple of fish and multiplied them to feed thousands of people? And then there were still leftovers 
abundance, more than was needed. Jesus was at a, a wedding and they ran out of wine. And Jesus turned water, gallons and gallons of water, into wine, the good kind of wine, not just the wine that you give after everybody's had all the other wine. More than enough, more than what was needed. Jesus died for us, and and that's enough, right, to have eternal life. That would have been all that was needed, but Jesus goes beyond that to give us abundant life now, not just eternal life, abundant life. Jesus offers us forgiveness, that sense of, of being reconciled to God, and that would have been enough, but Jesus also then heals us and makes us whole. Jesus offers uh, to us a, a sense of peace, a, a peace that goes beyond our understanding. And Jesus could have just given us that peace, but Jesus says, I, I'm going to be your peace. My presence is going to be your peace. Jesus' way of giving is to give beyond what is required. It's to give selflessly, to give generously. Jesus' love is always generous because uh, the expression of selfless love for us, Jesus' love is always generous because it's an expression of selfless love for those of us who are still running the race, who are still coming up out of the woods, (laughs) still trying to get to the finish line. And Jesus generously comes and runs with us. Jesus doesn't just wait for us at the finish line. Jesus come and comes and runs with us. Last week I was telling you about this book, The Paradox of uh, Generosity. I wanted to read uh, a quote from that book. They write, By generosity we mean the virtue of giving good things to others freely and abundantly. Generosity thus conceived is a learned character trait that involves both attitude and actions, entailing as a virtue both a disposition to give liberally and an actual practice of giving liberally. Generosity is not a random idea or haphazard behavior, but rather, in its mature form at least, is a basic personal moral orientation to life. Generosity also involves giving to others not simply anything in abundance, but rather giving those things that are beneficial to others. Generosity always intends to enhance the true well-being of those to whom something is being given. For this reason, we think generosity is ultimately an expression of love. Even if, in specific instances, it takes on an appearance of responsibility or justice or duty or citizenship, it's an expression of love. What exactly generous people give can vary. Money, possessions, time, attention, aid, encouragement, emotional availability, and more. Furthermore, in a world of moral contrasts, Generosity involves not only the good of love expressed, but also many vices and counterproductive emotions rejected, such as selfishness, greed, fear, and meanness. When we choose to give and to be generous in our giving, we're combating all of those things that keep us from giving. The selfishness and and the greed and 
the meanness. It's not just that we think we want to be generous, it's that we actually act in generous ways. Generosity makes us more like Christ because it's a posture and a practice of offering what we have received. Offering what we have received for the good and well-being of others, realizing that we have nothing to lose because we've already been given it all. We're beloved children of God. The Spirit bears witness with ours. We have a place in God's kingdom. We're heirs of God's kingdom. There's nothing that God has that isn't already ours, so why in the world wouldn't we give generously to others? Our position is secure. Our position is secure. Luke's teammates that came and ran with him they didn't have to come run with him. They had already done what they needed to do. But they realized that until Luke finished the race, they weren't done. Are we willing to give in this way? Not just as a handout, but to run with one another as Jesus runs with us. Running the race with others in this way doesn't at all diminish the race that we have run. It's understanding what Jesus has done for us. Running the race of life is not about winning. It's about understanding that we don't really win as long as there are others running. The whole body, the whole team, is important. I think sometimes generosity feels difficult because I think we forget how generous God is with us. We take for granted how generous God has been with us. We forget that the things that define us and give meaning to our lives really aren't things at all. We forget that without Jesus, we are lost. We're lost, and we have no life at all. We forget that generosity, above all else, is an expression of love, and we're commanded to love as Jesus loved, giving up self and serving one another. Generosity is difficult, I think, because we forget. And so today, we come and we remember. We gather at this table to remember the sacrificial, generous love, this gift of life that Jesus gives to us, to remember that we can't get more generous than giving your life. We cannot be more generous than Jesus has already been with us. To remember that we can't outgive God. Can't outgive the one to whom we belong and who has given us everything. It's world communion. Uh, Paul alluded to that. It's important for us to remember that it we gather not just as brothers and sisters at Bethany or as part of the United Methodist Church, but around the world, brothers and sisters in Christ gather at the table this weekend. And we remember. We remember that we're all part of the team. We're all part of the body. The race isn't finished until everybody gets across the line. The journey isn't complete until all are fed. And we can never have it all until we give it all away. That's how we become more like Jesus.
Let us pray. Lord, it's so difficult for us in the midst of this world in which we live when we're surrounded by things and by pressure to seek power and position and tempted to define our lives by what we have rather than by who we know in Christ. Reveal to us once again the depth of your love for us, the generosity of your love for us, that expression of love in which Jesus gave his whole life for us. Remind us as we come to the table that you've given us all that we need and that you invite us to give all of that away in how we live and how we love and how we think and how we speak and what we do. Help us not be complacent or forgetful about your generosity and your call for us to live generous lives in response. Thank you for the gifts that you give to us, especially for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.